The Game of Thrones season premiere is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones post-show recap live here on Facebook. And now here are the two guys who are ready to fill up your chamber pots with tons of knowledge <laughs> from the locked book. I'm Rob Cicero yeah. here with Stephen Fishback. It's the snow it all. Stephen, how are you? Rob, I'm giddy to be here. I'm giddy and a little intimidated. I'm, you know, I've got a g- giant, giant shoes to fill uh, with uh, with uh, Wigglers. So uh, you know, you, you, your usual recapper. So I'm I'm terrified, Rob. Yeah, well, very excited to get into everything. Josh is busy uh, filing all his stories for the Hollywood Reporter. I will be back with Josh Wiggler. We're going to record tomorrow night our Game of Thrones deep dive, which is going to be a a new podcast series we're going to have at the beginning of the week for you guys each week. And you can make sure you don't miss that or our Game of Thrones feedback show when you subscribe to the podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. Steven, talk to me. We just finished watching the premiere. What is your initial reaction? I loved it. I mean, to me, this was such like a great start. You know, all of these different things. You know, I've, I've been listening to you and Josh do the the road to the Game of Thrones. You're like, where are these different stories going? I thought, thought this was like the perfect, you know, setting all these stories in motion episode. You know, this really like put like brought all the players and said, here are our problems, right? You know, you've got, you know, from Arya's journey south to to King's Landing to you know you got the White Walkers coming in you got Cersei and Jamie they're saying here's our our deal you got Sansa and uh, Jon Snow saying you know here's our issues you know everyone's just like laying out their issues and now we're gonna spend seven episodes or six more episodes uh you know unraveling them yeah it was really exciting I think that the high point in the episode ironically came in the first scene in that cold open uh, they oh my really God. threw us some red meat to start off yeah. uh, this episode seems did you like that the way that they did that with that Arya scene at the beginning as opposed to typically a Game of Thrones episode ends with sort of like the high point at the end of an episode. Did you like how they started off the season with a jolt? I love that. I thought that was, you know, after the end of last season, which ended with such, you know, so many huge spectacular things. You know, I, I, th- I think like the slow buildup might have been a little bit it felt like kind of like we, we've been waiting over a year for this. You know, give us, you know, like you're saying, red meat and uh Red wine, you know, more relevantly. And I, it was, uh, you know, how would you feel? Like, at what point did you think, did you, were you for a moment like, this is a flashback, isn't it? We're getting some like, ret, you know, retroactive Walder Frey. Yeah, I really did think that that was a flashback that we saw at the start of the episode because obviously we saw that Walder Frey died in the season uh, finale from last season. And then as it was going on and on, I started to say, wait, hold on. Something is amiss. Again, I am sort of uh, mesmerized by the powers that Arya and and the faceless men possess because this magic, Stephen, is so incredible that it really can change your height. I mean, Arya Stark must have done a real character study of Walder Frey to be able to. I mean, she had him down cold. Right. She got the voice right. (laughs) She had the intonations like she knew who he knows. Yeah. Did you feel at all that like maybe this was a squandered opportunity? Like if you're running Frey Castle, you know. Just like send the soldiers south to fight the Lannisters or something. Oh, you think that would have been better? So, so like, uh, Walder, I, Walder Frey, declare war on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. You've got all these guys. I mean, you know, I think ultimately that's just not who Arya is, yeah, to right? Be She's fair, not she is Sansa. a stark, and strategic thinking is not really one of her core <laughs> yeah, competencies. Right. Yeah. Right. She's just like a force of pure debt. So all she can do is kind of, 
you know, kill people and like sing along with Ed Sheeran. Yeah, she's very revenge motivated. And uh, yeah. of course, uh, she I, I love just the look of the fray soldiers that those guys. It's just so funny. Watch it like uh, <laughs> yeah, like their get up. Some, they yeah. have the most ridiculous yeah. uh, uniforms. It's just yeah. very funny to uh, have them in. See, I'll miss them. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say gone too soon because we've, you know, it's like almost like gone, gone way too late. But uh, it was really satisfying to see not just Walder die, who we saw, you know, at the end of last season bite it, but all of those weaselly phrase to just like finally be rid of all of them. Steven, this is uh, our first live show together here on Facebook. We're using BeLive.TV. And what we're able to do is if you're watching us here live, we can take your questions and you'll see them come up during the screen, your comments as well. So go ahead and keep submitting those to us. We'll take uh, a bunch as we go through the different topics here. Uh, but let's stick with Aria. Of course, uh, that was the really exciting moment to start the episode up. We uh, got to see Aria. You know, Josh and I were debating in the start of the season, right. where does she go from here? We saw her uh, with Walder Frey at the end of the season, but does she go north and go home or does she go south and go to King's Landing? We were, at least I was hoping, I wanted to see her reunite with the rest of the Starks at Winterfell. But we find out in a, a very funny moment in the episode when she meets up with Ed Sheeran and yeah. uh, his band of Lannister men. Such a strange moment. Honestly, like, I didn't love this because like, it so took me out of the episode. I felt like I was like, watching one of those like VMA, you know, like, mo- like or like MTV Movie Awards sketches where like they, they insert right. random artists. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so with those Lannister men we find out that she is going south and she's going to ask her what are you doing she's going to kill the queen uh which ends up being uh really uh, this was a, an episode uh with a few big laughs in it uh that got a big laugh the other night yeah. at the premiere uh that i was able to attend with josh wiggler so do you like this for aria are you looking do you think that she is uh making the right choice here going after cersei well i think this is I mean, whether or not it's right, it's so clearly fundamental to who she is, right? Her whole arc has been about getting uh, revenge against this list of people. And, you know, now she's got her crazy superpowers. She's got to go for that big kill, that supervillain kill. And, uh, you know, I think Josh was saying on one of your Road to Westeros uh, podcasts, he would feel nervous for Arya if she went up against Cersei because that's not how, right? That's that's like a real big bad for Arya to face off against. You know, my thought is like maybe Arya is able to to take out one like really big name and that really could be her undoing as well. You know, I, I've kind of imagined like what if Arya takes out Sir Robert Strong? Steven, I actually really like that scene with Arya and the band of Lannister men. You know, yeah. Arya Stark has had uh, this very odd journey from the time that she was, uh, you know, a little girl and she's had these formative years that she's been on the run and hanging out with the likes of uh, the, the Hound and uh, the Faceless Men and she hasn't actually gotten to be a teenager at any point and this was like the first time in her life she's gotten to like just hang out with uh some people her age right and people just being like nice to each other right you know usually it's people like murdering each other or you know we saw you know or or people betraying each other and this was just a a guy offering her some meat offering her some wine her like being able to them being able to swap stories um, and you can see that she's so on her guard at the start of that scene. She's ready for something to happen. We're ready for something to happen. And it doesn't. And that's such a nice moment. Yeah. I mean, uh, these Lannister troops, I think, get a bad rap. Uh, these guys were pretty solid bros. 
Yeah, just uh, you know, they they didn't have a you know they they were just off fighting another man's war. They're just fighting another man's war. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I did think that uh, you know some of the uh, dialogue a little on the nose about how they just wanted to go home uh, <laughs> right. and they didn't want right. to keep right. fighting. Uh, you know, these uh, sons they go off to fight in these in these battles, but daughters take care of their fathers. But uh, I thought that was a Arya has had so few positive moments in her life. I was just happy that something bad wasn't happening to her. And front row tickets to an Ed Sheeran concert. I mean, you know, yeah, that's, 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 really that's worth good. a lot. That's really good. Yeah. Do you think that Ed Sheeran will remain in the show? Do you think that that his character will continue or this was a one and done? I mean, based on the random farmer reappearance, who knows? You know, three seasons from now, we might have Ed Sheeran's you <laughs> There's know, not going to be corpse, three more corpse seasons. Corpse in a hut. But, yeah, uh, well, so you think you know, that one of the Game of Thrones follow-up shows could be based around Ed Sheeran's <laughs> character? Yeah, we don't know. It could be. You know, he could just pop up in some random, you know, Previously on the Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about the uh, bookend of this episode where Danny arrives at Dragonstone at the end of the episode. Really, uh, not a lot of dialogue here. We end up with Danny. They arrive. They walk up to Dragonstone. They end up uh, getting the doors open. They walk through the whole place. And she ends with, uh, shall we begin? Uh, truly yeah. kicking off the beginning of uh, Danny's sack of Westeros. Uh, Stephen, were you pumped up to finally see Daenerys in the West? I love this moment, and I think this is, you know, such a testament to the power that Game of Thrones has built into its characters and its moments throughout these, you know, six seasons plus one now. Um, where just someone walking into a building, you know, yeah. someone standing at doors silently can have so much like emotional heft, you know, you're like there with her and you're feeling with her. And it's just like the, the importance of this moment that that's, you know, we've been building to for so long. And I think the fact that, you know, that they didn't have Tyrion making some like, you know, wackety wackety quip here. And they just really let that emotion kind of expand into the silence. I thought was really powerful. Yeah. The uh, set porn was on point. Uh, it really was yeah. amazing to see Danny uh, walk through Dragonstone. It was a nice moment to have her. She threw the Stannis banner on the ground. Yeah. Uh, they really, you know, that they, they didn't have one person that they left behind at Dragonstone. <laughs> I guess everyone. I guess there's nothing yeah, I mean, there. Right. At a certain point, you're like, you know what? I, 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 I can stop holding down the fort. I'm heading Home. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, yeah we uh, got to see the throne room over at Dragonstone as well. And uh, there, this is like the uh, the jump off point for Daenerys. Not a very comfortable looking seat. No, but I guess more comfortable than the Iron Throne. What? No cushions in, in Westeros? I don't think not on these thrones. I think that you want yeah. to sort of like uh, really prove how tough you are by having uh, these right. uh, these thrones set up. But uh, it looks like that Danny is going to be uh, very close to uh, planning her attack at Wester of uh, the rest of Westeros and King's Landing specifically. Nice to also see the dragons. The dragons are very happy to be back at Dragonstone. They're not going to want to leave. Yeah, they've got like the dragon perches all set up. You know, they they got a Sweet, sweet eggs at, at Dragonstone. No reason to go anywhere. No reason to uh, go anywhere unless you want to be uh, sitting on the Iron Throne. Uh, yeah. But uh, there was a lot more to chew on up at Winterfell where we got to see uh, a little bit of the tension uh, still going on with Jon and Sansa. Uh, Start off, we got like the uh, Jon Snow State of the Union address. Uh, do we have to say Jon Stark now? I, I thought this is going to uh, be weird. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, I think we can just say Lord Commander. You know, Lord I think that's Commander. fine. Well, no, he's definitely <laughs> yeah. not Lord Commander. 
Oh, you're right. You're king of the north. I'm sorry, king of the north. Okay, yeah, yeah. let's just go with John for right now. And yeah. you know, he's talking about how you know we need to start really getting everything together. He wants the women in the army. He wants the kids in the army. Everybody has to uh, be preparing. But here's Sansa, and she has uh, some differing views on how to proceed. Stephen, now we get to talk strategy uh, so much. Right now. Who do you think has the right idea? Because I thought that, okay, well, the show is presenting it as, okay, John is wrong, Sansa is right, but John's proposal ends up going uh, going over well with everybody that's in the room. So what do you think in terms of that? uh, Should the Humber uh, house and the Karstarks, uh, should their castles be given away to more loyal families? Or did you like John saying that he was going to forgive them? I think you're right that first the show really seemed to be saying, you know, Sansa had the right of it. And you see like everybody like murmuring to themselves, like, like, Oh, like clearly, you know, they're, they're fans of Sansa's proposal, you know, give the castles, uh, to the families of the men who died fighting for you. You know, Sansa says to John, there's no punishment for treason and no reward for loyalty. And it's a pretty compelling argument. Um, and then you have that moment where, you know, John invites like little Ned Umber and like little Alice Karstark to kind of come on up and like the, the emotion of the, the, the mood changes. And I think actually, I think we're not supposed to necessarily. And I was with you. You know, first I thought, oh my gosh, this is John behaving just like Rob did when Rob killed Rickard Karstark. You know, such a classic Stark misplay of, you know, going for this old idea of loyalty and not really like reading the room right. Um, and this is going to really un- undo John. But by the end of it, when you see those kids go up there and, and you do seem to see this buy in, what I actually took away from that was that we're supposed to see. Uh, this tension. And it's not necessarily one is right and the other is wrong, but that they both are coming at it from very different perspectives. You know, John has his kind of a classical ideas of loyalty. Sansa has her sort of ideas of like realpolitik. And like together, you know, they're the super Stark. Yeah, the super Stark. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. happening. They're coming together like yeah. Voltron. Yeah, what did you? What did you? Where did you come out on this? Well, I I really thought that oh, see, this is classic John, and that he's uh, repeating the uh, the stupid Stark mistakes, and Sansa right. is the one that she's really. I and I love Littlefinger. Uh, she's really she's learned everything from Littlefinger. Sansa is right. But the show really presented it as that, you know, after uh, John said that the sins of the father shouldn't be passed down to the kids, everybody in the room was, uh, you know, all there for it. So I felt like that, okay, well, maybe Sansa is being a little petulant here. And we got to see a really great scene between John and Sansa after the fact where Sansa talked about, you know, first she compared uh, John to Joffrey, which was, uh, I thought that that was uh, way out of line. She ended up walking that back yeah. and says yeah, like immediately yeah, you're the least like yeah. joffrey of anybody i've ever met but she says then, then she said something that really resonated yeah. with me rob she said you she said you need to be smarter than rob and i think about that every day you need to be smarter than rob yeah oh come on stop it yeah yeah stop yeah, it right. come anyway, on. go ahead sorry sorry, sorry. and uh, but to uh to you rehash what you're that she said, look, I loved dad. I loved Rob, but they they made stupid mistakes. And she's really the voice of all of us uh, in that, you know, that the the Starks are dumb is definitely something that many Game of Thrones fans have said. And yes. this new generation of the Starks needs to be smarter if they're going to succeed. Yes, exactly. And that's why I think like Sansa and Rob together. I mean, sorry, um, 
John and Sansa together, you know, they both, you know, John has this like classical sense of loyalty, right? That's what he was showing in that first conversation of, you know, we need to honor these these traditions, right? Like that's what the Starks are all about for forever is the tradition. And then Sansa has this kind of like realpolitik, uh, you know, uh, perspective that she's learned from Littlefinger. And I think together, because because the North remembers, right? That's the beginning. That's the first scene of this show. The North remembers, and you know, then you transition into this this scene with uh, with Sansa and John. You know, the North. You've got to. This isn't Lannister land. This is the North, and you have to kind of have that sense of tradition uh, uh, too. But but uh, you know, I mean, and then you've got Sansa who says, "I learned a great deal from Cersei." Yeah, and Cersei ends up summoning uh, John to uh, come down and bend the knee. Now, is that a setup for John? Uh, I mean, if he was going to uh, go there, does he just go down there and then uh, he gets uh, executed? Yeah, I don't like think Ned that's Stark. a great don't offer. There. Don't do that, John. That's, that's a bad move. I don't see that storyline. That would be like, yeah, that would be a Rob Stark storyline. Right. But for Sansa, to, for her to say, I mean, uh, I, I don't know where, I can't say that she is right in all of this when she's advising John, like, okay, forget the White Walkers. We have to deal with Cersei. We have to go down and, and right. uh, war with the Lannisters. You know, we got a wall between us and the Night's King. Uh, forget about that. Now, again, she hasn't seen seen a white or uh you know any uh anybody rise from the dead so maybe it's not as real in her mind but as somebody who has seen everything in uh being able to see this uh third person perspective of the story uh that's a terrible idea to go to down to king's landing <laughs> yeah yeah it is a terrible idea but you know you also see that john is underestimating cersei right like sansa says don't do that right because cersei ends up killing everyone who opposes her. So don't think that this is kind of just, you know, the what whatever, like the small scale human politics while you've got these these white walkers out. You've also got to take into account these threats. And I thought that was really a theme for every single partisan here, right? They all have this sense of, oh my gosh, we got we got threats coming in from everywhere. Now, Stephen, Littlefinger didn't have a lot to do in this episode. Uh, he had one moment with Sansa and she <laughs> yeah. was kind of brushing him off. And uh, that's right when we see Brienne come by and say, okay, oh, what did he want? Sansa says, oh, believe me, I know what he wants. Yeah. What, what is it that Littlefinger wants? Is it is it power or is it Sansa? I think that was... Right. I think that was like a wink and a nod at kind of both of those things, right? That Sansa knows that Littlefinger is manipulative, right? Because you've got Littlefinger saying to Sansa, oh, Sansa, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. How do we make you happy, right? And obviously, you know, Littlefinger is the most self-interested character in the whole show. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think I think that's sort of Sansa's uh, sort of realization that for Littlefinger, it's like sex and power are all kind of one thing of those like sort of like give me more. Wow. Uh, Stephen, yeah. where do you think? Well, that- I don't know. What, what do you think? What, what, what's your, where do you come down on that? I, I really, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I can't imagine that. Uh, I, I know that Littlefinger is into Sansa. I mean, I think that the show's yeah. made that clear. But he also gave her over to uh, Ramsay Bolton and the, and the Boltons and was willing to sort of like, if she died during the, her stay with the Boltons, I think that Littlefinger was willing to take that risk in order to acquire more power. So right. I, I do feel like that Littlefinger probably has power one, maybe Sansa two, but he's willing to, to sacrifice Sansa in order to gain more power. 
Yes. And I thought that was a great moment for Sansa, you know, who's we've seen kind of throughout the, you know, the end of season six as really Littlefinger's pupil and, you know, kind of almost subservient to, to Littlefinger to sort of for her to be able to brush him off like that. You know, those great parting words and no need to seize the last word, Lord Baelish. I'll assume it was something clever. Mm-hmm. Just such a perfect dismissal of, of Littlefinger. So where do you think that this Sansa and Littlefinger dynamic goes in season seven? Do you think that Littlefinger just remains in the north this whole season to sort of be a thorn in John's side? <laughs> yeah. the the king of thorns in John's <laughs> side. Um, you know, I, I think that Littlefinger is that side of Sansa, right? He represents part of Sansa uh, that that like comes out of her in her negotiations with John. So I think he's there for that purpose from like a narrative perspective, right? And I believe he is uh, still the warden of uh, everything that's going on uh, in the Eyrie. So yeah. uh, you know, he's sort of committed up there. Uh, no sign of Sweet Robin though, Stephen. No, yeah, you got to really want it. He's really like abandoning a lot of his, you know, responsibilities uh, in the east in the Vale. Okay, yeah. uh, Stephen, we also got to see a little bit of Brienne and Tormund. Uh, we saw maybe like uh, you know, uh, fifteen seconds of them uh, glancing at each other, but it's enough that the uh, the tension is palpable. Yeah, I, maybe you saw this. I feel like it was probably a Josh Wiggler story where it was some interview with like Weiss or Benioff, and they were saying that like in the script that like first glance between Brienne and Tormund last season was just like written as like he looks at her and she looks away and then you know it's become through just the the crazy chemistry of these two actors like this you know will they or won't they romance yeah did you think this forwarded will they or won't they i mean i don't see why they won't i mean that is there anything that's standing in their way other than uh the script doesn't ever have a scene with them together (laughs) yeah i mean there's just (laughs) almost like I guess, like, maybe that's how the show ends, you know? Like, one big kiss between Brienne yeah. and Tormund. Well, he was upset that uh, Podrick got to be knocked by, down by Brienne, and he didn't. Yeah, well, Tormund is on his way to go to East Watch by the Sea and uh, pick up for the uh, the Night's Watch. So, uh, he is going to be the first line of defense against the Night's King. So, if him and Brienne are going to get together, he should get Gotta on that soon. quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, Make a move. I mean, we've seen that that's where the, the, the army of the undead is headed. Okay. All right, uh, we mentioned Cersei. Let's talk about uh, her conversation with Jamie in this episode. First off, did you like Cersei's giant Westeros map, Stephen? I dug it. I did. You know what? I never knew what I needed in my living room, but now I know. Yeah. They get that giant, giant Westeros, Westeros map. map. Uh, they, yeah. did, they had that at the uh, premiere. It was the dance floor. Uh, it was the, uh, the oh, recreation of that. So, Stephen, I, I really thought that Cersei was in a weird place in terms of uh, how she was handling the uh, death of Tommen. We've seen her mourn for Joffrey, and we've seen her mourn for Marcella, and her attitude definitely seemed different this time around. Yes. Uh, she seemed angry at Tommen because he was weak and he left them. Did you feel like that Cersei's character has taken a turn? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, she's pure. I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 it seems like she's really cut that part out of herself, right? You know, I think Josh in one of your podcasts said it was like she's had some kind of psychic break, right? Where this is not a well person. You know, before this was a person who was in some way at least anchored by love and by emotion, by her, you know, love of her children. You know, she obviously had something with Jamie. And now she's just, you know, completely all about, you know, power. You know, Jamie, who's still, you know, kind of a 
got this, you know, a, a sentimental guy, you know, he says, you know, we never talked about Tom and, and she just uh, dismisses him, you know, and, and she, she's not just, she doesn't seem to be able to really calculate the stakes here where Jamie keeps on saying, you know, nobody wants to be on our side. We're on the losing side, right? We got nothing going on for us right now. And she's like, yeah, you're crazy. You know, yeah. we're the Lannisters. What do you think of the way uh, they're saying dynasty? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess, I guess it's, it's uh that's how they say it in the South. That's how they say it in the South. Stephen, <laughs> yeah. for me, uh, that I really was, uh, you know, siding with Jamie uh, much more in this uh, conversation, where sure. she's like, uh, "We can create uh, a dynasty," and and appropriately, he's like, "What? What are you talking about? Like, we have no right. heirs." Uh, and she's like, "Well, it'll be a dynasty for us." And right. I mean, that she, that the, what relationship do they even have at this point? Yeah, it, it, and it seems like he's just almost there to just kind of remind her of her humanity, you know. But it's also not clear to me in that conversation what is, you know, what does Jamie want? You know, we're saying like let's talk about the strategy of Sansa and John. What's the strategy here? You know, you know what Cersei wants. You know, Cersei's like, I've invited Euron in. You know, I've I'm I've painted this map where I can see all my enemies. I got to get rid of all my enemies. I got to build my power structure. What does Jamie actually want here? I mean, that Jamie's motivation has always been he wants to get back to Cersei. All he wants is Cersei. He wants uh, them to be able to finally uh, be together in a way that they were never able to do. And perhaps they have that chance now. But uh, that, that that does not seem interesting to her. It doesn't seem like uh, the relationship with Jamie has really been on her mind since she since Jamie ended up coming back uh, with missing a hand. Yeah, Jamie's always been the one, you know, she's just not that into you. She's you know, not that Jamie. into you, Jamie. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah. And uh yeah. yeah, I mean and and what a complicated dynamic this ended up being with uh the appearance of Euron Greyjoy and uh yes. Steven, uh what a triangle this is turning out to be. The uh the Cersei Jamie Euron triangle. Oh my gosh. And one of the great, you know, the great put downs uh of all time here i am with a thousand ships and and two good hands you know way to dig the the knife yeah and we saw that jamie has uh no love for the great joys uh he's uh no. almost he can't believe that they're showing up like what you invited them they're terrible <laughs> yeah, the great yeah. joys what yeah. they're terrible at parties they they never bring any gifts they eat all your chips you know they they're uh they're just they're de- devourers they do not sew yeah they're terrible at everything. And, yeah. uh, but Euron Greyjoy was a character that, uh, came into the story in season six. And I think that people thought he was going to be a big deal. He kind of wasn't. He was only in a couple of scenes. The show has really done a lot to, uh, change him up going into season seven. Uh, you feel like he's going to have a bigger role here. What do you think of Euron Greyjoy 2.0, Steven? I'm still waiting for it, right? I think that's sort of the hype has been, you know, Euron's the next big Ramsey. And I, I, we definitely didn't see it in this. What, what, what? I'm reading some of the, the comments to you. Oh, he cleaned up good. He, he got a nice haircut on the on the trip over from the Iron Islands. Um, but but you know we haven't. We're not. I, I'm not seeing it. We're not. We're not seeing it yet. You know. You know. Jamie confronts him. Kind of shoots him down. You know. He proposes marriage to Cersei. You know. Like kind of. You know. What a not not exactly like some power play here. Um, she shoots him down. It's like okay, I'll get you. Well, what if I get you a great present? Wouldn't that be cool? Like this is not some like Ramsey Bolton villain who's like, 
okay, uh, I'll get you a gift, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I like him. Yeah. I thought he was fun to have on the show. Uh, yeah. So mixed reactions on the uh, new look Euron Greyjoy. Uh, Kate Ann says, uh, Euron looks like Joshua Jackson mixed with an 80s rocker. Uh, that's pretty uh, perfect. That's pretty good. That's pretty perfect. Uh, yeah. Jason Biquette says, eyeliner uh, like that cop from Bates Motel. Oh. Brandon uh, says Euron was very uh, Gerard Butler tonight. Okay. And Sean James says Euron looked like the bad boy from some early 90s band. And our Philly, same dude, tighter haircut. So yes. the Euron r- results are sort of a, a mixed bag. But I thought that he was yeah. fun. I thought he, they were going for like a Negan type character here with uh, Euron Greyjoy. Because I don't right. think we really had so like a, uh, a comical you're on last season, right? This seems like a little bit of a new development for him. Well, he's definitely very self-possessed in that scene. You know, he's able to bandy word, you know, in spite of what I just said about him, he is able to hold his own against Jamie. You know, he is able to hold his own against Cersei. He, he disses Jamie. Um, you know, a, 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 uh, they, 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 Jamie says, you know, I, we killed, I killed all of these, uh, I'll kill all of your kinsmen. And, and Euron's like, great. The place was getting crowded. Yeah. I mean, a little bit too kind of walk a walk there for my, <laughs> for my tastes, but you know, he's, he's not a guy who's going to get phased easily, you know? So what is this gift? What do you think? I mean, the gift is going to be someone, right? The gift, the gift that Euron brings to, to Cersei has got to be a, a person. Yeah. So there's a couple of theories uh, that you could say that obviously uh, we see Cersei and Jamie talking about Tyrion. Uh, and obviously uh, that Tyrion is now the hand of Daenerys. Uh, Tyrion's head would be a, a great gift. Uh, yeah. The uh, Daenerys would be another great gift. Uh, the uh, defeat of that army would be another fantastic gift. So I don't know if it will be a literal gift or if he will, uh, you know, defeat one of these armies that's coming to King's Landing. So I, I think that it will probably be some sort of big symbolic character or figure. You know, I think. I agree with you. Tyrion or Daenerys would be huge gifts. You know, from a story perspective, I think this, you know, this is something that Euron is going to need actually probably achieve, right? He's probably going to kill this thing or this person or do this act in the next episode or two and like win this alliance with Cersei. So obviously it's not going to be from that perspective. This is not how Tyrion or Daenerys is going out, right? They're not going out for, as like some like side quest mm-hmm. of uh, Euron Greyjoy. Greyjoy. Right. Um, so I think, you know, for me, maybe it's like the sand snakes or hilarious sand, you know, maybe it's Elena, you know, Tyrell, um, maybe it's a dragon. Jason Jones in the comments is saying it'll be a dragon that Euron takes out. So I, to me, that's like, like a significant side character is the kind of thing that, that Euron can, you know, prove his himself to Cersei with. Steven, it does seem like that somehow Euron Greyjoy is going to have some sort of a trajectory towards helping to uh, stop the dragons from sacking King's Landing. Are you on board yes. with this? Yeah, and in the books, I know Josh mentioned that it hasn't really popped up in the show yet. But in the books, there he's got this this horn that's supposed to be able to tame dragons. So certainly that's the trajectory that they're setting up for him in the books as some sort of you know force that can rebut uh, dragons. You know, he's got this big fleet. You know, I guess they got a lot of water. You know, maybe they can set up a hose to stop the dragon fire, dragon's breath. Right now, he is. Uh, he has this navy. He has a thousand ships. 
The only other people that we have with ships uh, is that original Greyjoy fleet that Yara and Theon uh, made off with. So if he could then make it out of King's Landing uh, and then somehow you would think that some sort of uh, military battle between the Danny fleet and the Euron fleet is coming this season. Right, And Dragonstone is an island. So, you know, I mean, not for nothing, but tactically, if Euron could destroy Danny's fleet, uh, that would really strand them in this place where they don't have immediate access to the uh, to the mainland. Just in terms of yeah, that who else are they going to fight? Uh, that you know, there's right. no uh, there's I don't believe that the, uh, the there's a Dornish fleet that's coming. So uh, you feel like that they're on some sort of a uh, collision course. Let's get into talking about. We spent a lot of time with Sam tonight at the uh, Citadel. A very graphic montage <laughs> of Sam cleaning the chamber pots. At the Citadel, Stephen. Yeah, is, is this the greatest way to like, show time passing through like a chamber pot cleaning montage? Like, it's pretty great. Just like I, I, I gr- totally grossed out, but totally loved yeah, it. Yeah, it was uh, r- really a very comedic editing for Game of Thrones. Uh, the, the show yeah. really went against type here in uh, telling that story of Sam. Yeah, uh, right. You did not expect that to, to and I, I loved it. I, I thought I loved that it was fun. I mean, Jim Broadbent kind of has a wonderful mania to him, and I thought he brought some sort of you know fun to the Archmeister as well. Yeah. Stephen, so we saw that that Sam was uh, there at the Citadel looking for something. We heard uh, John mention, okay, Dragonglass kills the White Walkers, and right. Sam is looking for okay. Well, there, it must be at the Citadel to find out where all of the dragon glass is we see him ultimately uh is find out in one of the forbidden books where the dragon glass is why doesn't sam just leave the citadel i mean he can't be a raven and there's probably more stuff right like he's found one big piece of information but there's there's a lot more a lot more in there right i mean the citadel's this font of limitless knowledge basically i mean you know he's got the raven he sent the raven i hope he sent a backup raven right because we know ravens are not always the most reliable mm-hmm. yeah you want to make sure in case one of them gets lost that that's the that's the case steven <laughs> i thought that there was an interesting conversation uh between uh sam and uh what is that a grand maester like he sam called him archmeister Arch- so i think yeah so maybe he, he's probably like the leader, right, of all the Meisters? Yeah, uh, um, the, uh, he's the yeah. Archmaester. And Archmaester. I, I thought that that was an interesting conversation that they were having where uh, that he came around and felt like, okay, um, you must be telling the truth. I believe you. But ultimately, you know, every winter has ended. Every, uh, every, every crisis has ever come to end. This will be just like that. So I'm not going to get all hysterical like you are just because the White Walkers are coming. Whose worldview is correct? Is is Sam's worldview correct? The 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 chicken little, the sky is falling, or did you like the Archmaester's approach to, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, but this too shall yeah. pass. I, I mean, look, I thought the Archmaester was a great character. I loved his whole representation of that academic temperament, you know, where he says everyone in the Citadel doubts everything. It's their job. You know, I thought it was, uh, it was such a, such a fun way that he dismissed Sam. But, you know, there was these seven words that he said when he's kind of saying, you know, every winter has ever has come to an end. He said, the wall has stood through it all. And I think, you know, we all know that at some point that wall has got to come down. So, you know, I think the the Archmaester represents this like view of history where 
well, history is, is, you know, this, this sort of safe thing. And then I think that kind of Sam represents a sense of, yeah, but this cataclysm is real, you know, like, you know, there's something new can happen. You know, the Archmaster has that academic sense of like, it's all sick cycles and everything has happened before. And that, you know, we've all, you know, humanity has endured through it all. Uh, not represent. I think, you know, Sam has that sort of firsthand experience that a real cataclysm can come and destroy everything. Um, where, 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 where did you come down on this, Rob? I just thought it was an interesting conversation. I, I, and I felt like that big picture, I think it's probably good advice in terms of, uh, even in the real world, where there's so many different things that we all, uh, get hysterical over on a day to day basis. And it's good probably not to get too high or too low about any one, uh, particular calamity that, uh, is going to, uh, befall us. Right. But, uh, everything that the show has presented to us may, Makes it sort of feel like that this is the big one. <laughs> like this. Is- well, I really, yeah. And I, I like that he kind of set up the wall as sort of the, like the, the metonymy, like the symbol of this kind of historical stability, right? The wall has stood through it all for him, for Archmaster Jim Broadbent. You know, this is the representation of everything's going to be all right. And so I think that when the wall, does come down as it will, you know, that will be our sense of, oh my God, you know, this is, this is the end time. Okay. This is different. We saw it now. Yeah. Sam was picking up uh, a bunch of, uh, I don't even know what those, let's, uh, hopefully they were just used dishes that Sam was uh, picking up at the end of the episode. I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we find out there's Jorah with a particularly uh, grayscaly arm. Now, uh, that doesn't seem super sanitary for. Sam to be picking up the dishes that uh, Jorah is handling, right? Yeah, Jorah couldn't even keep his food in the dish. Like it was like like his dish was slimy with with food. Yeah, no, that was not good. And then he splashes Sam. Yeah, this is how grayscale spreads. Yeah, you know this is you know you know this they need to work on. I mean, this. shouldn't Jorah be under a more strict quarantine with the grayscale? Uh, yeah, this seems like a pretty sloppy way of keeping of keeping the grayscale contained. Unless there is like there some advanced research being done on grayscale at the Citadel, and they need a bunch of like test subjects. Do you think that could happen? Do you think there's a chance that Jorah makes it out, you know, scale free? That like somehow they get like grayscale remission. Well, that might be one of the things that Sam uncovers in a book, maybe. Yeah, and do 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 you think that is that do we do we like that idea? Is that gonna is that gonna happen? Uh, I don't know if we end up with. With some sort of a remission for Jorah. My, my prediction on that has always been that Jorah will go and there's like some suicide mission that Jorah will go and yeah. complete ultimately to, uh, you know, show his worth to Danny. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's going to be some last thing that he's he, some last task that he has. You know, his his one words, has she come yet? The Dragon Queens and their Stormborn, you know, are so clear. You know, this is not some like he gets, you know, he's not like weak when he says these things, right? He he sounds really forceful and clear. Mm-hmm. Steven, uh, Sam and Gilly uh, and the baby all still at the Citadel. Are you surprised that they are just letting Sam, uh, you know, that everything else seems like that they're super strict rules for Sam, yet <laughs> yeah. he's allowed yeah. to have a live-in girlfriend and baby at the Citadel. Yeah. Well, he's not a maester yet, you know, as he is reminded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you, are yeah. you just looking yeah. the other way on that? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. You know, Citadel, it takes all types. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah, I think we got a new little Sam, Steve, and I think we switched out the baby in between. 
Oh, really? Yeah, that's oh, kid. that's interesting. That's a, that's a scandal. Maybe it's Arya. <laughs> is that Arya? <laughs> <laughs> Little Sam's going to take his face off. It turns out it was Arya the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ultimate twist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else from the Citadel, Stephen? That was all. I mean, just the fact that Sam chose to uh, steal the keys. You know, he went through all the proper channels. Then he stole the keys. Is Sam breaking bad? Uh, I think that he is as bad as he has been. I mean, he's a bit of a rule breaker. Uh, You know, he's supposed to be uh, a vow of chastity as part of the uh, Night's Watch. Uh, He will break rules. Uh, You know, he stole the sword from his dad. That was his, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller's day off uh, moment of uh, stealing the car, uh, you know, that his dad said he couldn't take. So I I think that Sam's a bit of a rebel. Yeah. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Steven, I I missed this earlier in the chat, but somebody had proposed that uh, did the keys get left out intentionally? Did they want Sam to go into and, and take the forbidden books? It did seem awfully sloppy the way the guy is sleeping and like and his keys, like the most like his keys to the secret room are just like on his on his like side bed mm-hmm. side table. Yeah. That's from Persephone yeah. Jones, uh, who says yeah. that the Archmaster left the keys out on purpose. He said the skeptical dogma, but he believed on the DL. Was that the Archmaster? So my, my screen was guy. super. I thought it was a different guy. I thought it was a different guy too. I, I uh, yeah. I thought it was just like this is Sam being sneaky, and you know this is the easiest way to represent. That. All right, Stephen. Let's talk about the Hound and what he went through tonight. A lot of airtime for the Hound here in the uh, season seven premiere, and a little bit of a uh, epilogue to a story that came out of season four. I was wondering why we saw this in the previously on where uh, the Hound and Arya ended up uh, stopping at the house of a farmer, and I figured, oh, okay, I guess that the Hound and Arya are going to meet back up. I thought that that's where we were going with this, but no, we had uh, the Hound uh, with uh, Beric Dondarrion uh, return to the house of the farmer that they visited in season four. Well, I, th- I think we've all been sort of waiting for that yeah. farmer subplot to wrap up, yeah. so you know, <laughs> finally we get to see that thing we've all... But again, like I think this is actually, again, like, like similar to Danny arriving on Dragonstone, I think this is you know a testament to what Game of Thrones does so well and the power of the series that has built so much emotion into all of these moments along the way that they can't and go back to this house and it's just so filled with this this you know emotion in the sense of whatever the hound is going through yeah well steven so i had seen the episode on wednesday night at the premiere and i was a little confused about the backstory here with what went on with the farmer so let me just reset right. that because there was a, a couple seconds in the previously on so in season four Arya and the Hound are uh, are on their way down to go and uh, return Arya to uh, her mom in the uh, Riverlands. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think of Lady Arryn, right? I'm getting my, my timeline off. But anyway, so, this, so they, yeah. they were together. And uh, this was season, season three. That's where I'm getting confused. Okay. So they were uh, you know, going off to return Arya to uh, her mom and to Rob. And they stop at the house of this farmer. And uh, he offers them uh, a meal, and uh, the daughter of the farmer ends up cooking for them. They stay there. The hound is a real jerk the whole time. Arya has to keep apologizing for him. He ends up asking for ale at this guy's house. He's being really rude. Uh, it's funny in the episode because uh, when they're talking about, I think that's uh, Beric who says, uh, maybe they have some ale in there. The hound's like, they don't. Uh, and yeah. then we end up seeing the last last moment is that Arya wakes up the next day and the hound clubbed the guy over the head 
took his silver and left him for dead, basically. And I wanted to uh, just play a clip from the end of that here. This is from uh, that episode back in season three. This is Arya and the Hound discussing why the Hound did what he did. Aye, he took us in. He's a good man. His daughter makes a nice stew. And they'll both be dead come winter. You don't know that. I do know it. He's weak. He can't protect himself. They'll both be dead come winter. Dead men don't need silver. So I thought that's really interesting, Stephen, that the Hound knew back then that yes. he that he knew, OK, this guy is weak. He's not going to make it come winter. Do you think the Hound has any culpability? You know, what the Hound said at the time was he can't protect himself, so he'll be dead, which kind of suggests that he's going to get dead by, you know, ravaging bandits or something. But what actually killed him is starvation, right? That he and his daughter were, were dead. Uh, there was a knife at their feet. And I think Barrick Ber- uh, or Thoros says, uh, you know, they, they were starving to death and they, they killed themselves. Does the Hound have any culpability for stealing the silver from this guy? You know, silver buys food. Yeah. I'll say that I'm going to let the hound off the hook. I think yeah. that, you know, winter is coming. Winter just got here uh, and they're right. already starving to death. So, yeah, that, uh, you know, what the hound took a little bit of silver. What's that going to buy? Another uh, two weeks of bread. So eventually this fate was coming. But the hound that he was, you know, he's able to uh, see the future, not even looking into the flames that he knew how this was going to end for these people. Yeah. So he knew and he. Uh, you know, and going back into that house and being confronted by them, you know, I think is, is, is this a moment of growth for the hound? Cause I actually don't remember where we were with like the hound's emotional journey at, you know, season at, at that point with the, with the farmer in the riverlands. Like, is this a moment of the hound kind of like showing more humanity is his will, his, his need to bury these two people. I think that that has uh, started during season six that season five, we didn't see him after he ended up being left for dead. Uh, uh, right. I guess season four and season five, we didn't end up seeing him. Uh, and then he came back last season and then uh, we saw that he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, talking uh, about things in a different way in terms of like there was a uh, influence of that. Uh, there was the Septon who was talking with him. So I think that he this is a more introspective hound. He buried right. uh, the farmer and his daughter like, I'm sorry that you're dead. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, so yeah. I thought that that was a good moment for the hound i don't know where the hound story is going ultimately though right well it was interesting that the hound tries to you know say the prayer over the grave you know when he was with that farmer when they were having their meal the farmer says you know his form of grace he kind of gives thanks to every one of the different Mm -hmm. seven gods and the hound keeps rushing him along and keeps rushing him along and now you know three seasons later four seasons later uh, the hound can't remember those words and he's like, sorry for it, but he's able to speak from his heart, you know, so even more, you know, he's got that sense of wanting to give the, the moment ceremony, but it's not like he's like, oh, now I need to go to Sunday school. You know, he's like still like, I'm going to say something true for my yeah. heart. Steven, although for anyone who's hoping for Clegane Ball. Yeah. I don't know if we're getting it. I mean, we we have two guys going in opposite directions, or at least one guy going yeah. in an opposite direction from another guy who's stationed very firmly in King's Landing. Yeah, the hound going to somewhere like quite far away uh, from the mountain or the the you know the undead man formerly known as the mountain, um, and really towards the heat of things, you know, towards Eastwatch. 
Uh, if 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 someone's gonna die, it's gonna be in this in this big confrontation at Eastwalk. Okay, Stephen. Uh, we also saw then uh, the Hound uh, look into the flames uh, that uh, Tharos was uh, saying, like, "Hey, check this out." Uh, and again, the Hound was so funny a couple times uh, talking about uh, Thoros's uh, man bun. And then, see, I know how you hate man <laughs> yeah. buns. You you have to be yeah, living yeah, for that. Uh, that moment resonated with yeah. me. And you're not fooling anybody with that. I liked it when the Hound also said, like, uh, why did I have to be brought here with a bunch of fire worshippers? But then yeah, he looks yeah. into the flames, and uh, that uh, the Hound, I think, is now on board with this, with the Lord of Light. Yes. He saw the, you know, amazing, right? That and Maybe that's, you know, the, where the Hound's journey from from being burned by fire, from being so scared of fire his whole life. And now he's getting a revelation in fire of all places, uh, seeing this this horrible apocalyptic thing about to happen uh, at East Watch. Okay, Stephen, uh, then uh, we also got to see briefly uh, Bran showed up at the wall, saw Ed at the wall, not Ed Sheeran, uh, the uh, second best Ed on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bran is coming across. Yes, yes, Brand's Brand's back, baby. Yeah. He's back in the Westeros. So, what's next for Brand? Brand is going to Winterfell, or do you think that he's going to then uh, summon John North? I feel like Brand is going to Winterfell, right? I mean, what, what? Where do you? Where do you think? It seems like a lot of things are happening now at Winterfell. With you got this John Sansa kind of face off. Uh, I feel like Brand has got to like be reunited with both of them at once. Winterfell. I think Brand's got to give Mira Reed a break. Yeah, stop dragging her around. Yeah, he's, he's, she's been dragging him for so long. I mean, it took, I, I mean, and, and maybe, I think we might have to say that Hodor might have been slacking. I mean, how many seasons did it take for Bran to get to where he was going? <laughs> Mira Reed from like uh, midway through yeah. season six to seven, uh, they're already yeah. back at the wall. Maybe yeah. it was, yeah, she, uh, well, maybe she it was, was downhill. That's, a, that, that's my theory right. on it. Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. So he could have even just rolled down. Yeah, as like a big, that like, she snow, could have got on snowball. his back and then just uh, slid yeah. it down there. Is it, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what they do with Mira Reed from here. Yeah. I, she seems very expendable. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've like for seven seasons now been waiting for like Howland Reed to show up. I've given up waiting. I, I think the the reeds are a side, a side story that's probably going to just, you know, some climactic battle. Uh I really want to see Greywatch, or not Greywatch, um, whatever their castle is named. Moat, uh, what's their castle called? Don't, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz, Stephen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The Howland's Moving Castle. Yes, that's underwater. Is, is I don't think I'm we're going to get it. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see it. Yeah, I don't think it's happening. Greywater Watch. There, Grey there it Water is. Watch. Um, I've, been, I've been wanting that for so long. It's not going to happen. Uh, I do. Th- I agree with you. The reeds are sort of going nowhere. Okay. Uh, then, Stephen, uh, we didn't get to fit everybody into the premiere episode. Uh, who did we not see that you were hoping to see in the season seven premiere? Well, you know I love my Martells. Very sad to not see the Sand Snakes and Hilarious mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Queen of Thorns uh, missing in action. You know, I, um, uh, we, very little Varys. You know, I think we're all so excited to have the big... I mean, he was there. Yeah. He was well, there. I, I've you know, said very, that Tyrion is in a major slump in terms of uh, what he's been bringing to the table. He really didn't have very much to do at all last season. And I don't yeah. think that the Dink had a line in this episode. 
No, I don't think so either. Um, but to me, he had a lot of like meaningful glances. Yeah, meaningful glances. Yeah, uh, that uh, great uh, point uh, from Scott Schaefer. Where is Melisandre and where is Davos? I feel like that uh, we need to see what they're up to. Yes, we always need more Melisandre and Davos. It's it's a, it's a, you know especially now that people are landing at uh, Dragonstone. Yeah, I feel like that uh, Davos uh, really did not get. Uh, I, I guess what is he there with John? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't even remember seeing him in that scene. And uh, uh, Gendry. Gendry. Well, Gendry we haven't seen in uh, quite some time. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, Stephen, uh, okay. I want to open this up to some questions uh, from you guys. A- any other big things that we missed from tonight's episode? I know. Seems okay. like no. Elizabeth Irwin is saying that Davos is on 100 different shows right now. Is that the problem? He's got other commitments, you know, you, you know, the biggest show of all time, you know, no big yeah. deal. Uh, Steven, were you pumped up that Brett noticed Essos is off the opening credits? We are done in the East. Is that a wrap wow. on the East? So Dario Naharis is just like hanging out in Marine, like trying to quell some insurrection. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cynthia is confirming uh, Davos was sitting at the table, but uh, underserved, okay, I thought underserved I saw yeah. Davos to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, you, there's, there's so many great characters there. You know, so much room for dialogue. But this was a good opener for all the big uh, plot lines, I okay. thought. Steven, uh, this is a question from Mark. Arya going south will lead to her death, true or false? You were talking about this on Twitter. You felt like that she does not have a... Uh, you, you don't believe in the winner edit for Arya. I think if I had to choose a Stark that was most likely to die, uh, it would be Arya. Um, you know, I think her whole storyline has been about revenge and getting revenge and killing people and that that sort of that's that's a story that's got to end, you know, in, in something bad happening. You know, I think especially now that she's going south right towards Cersei, towards uh, Sir Robert Strong. I think, you know, you can see Arya's story ending with like her really having some like big climactic kill, achieving a revenge that's satisfying to her. And then that kind of undoing her. That said, I've seen a lot of very compelling, you know, Arya's had a bunch of of quotes about, you know, going west, beyond Westeros, and kind of seeing what's beyond the horizon. And, you know, Michael Benson, I think it was on Twitter, who said to me, you know, what if Arya's story is just her, sort of her and the aftermath of all of this terrible things, you know, heading off into the great unknown, you know, her her everyone wiped out and Arya just sort of adventures west. So I don't have high hopes for Arya's survival, but I, I see a scenario where it, where it yeah, happens. What, what do you uh, think? I don't know. I feel like that uh, you're going to give her the same exact storyline as the Red Viper, where it's like uh, she's consumed by revenge, she's almost there, and then uh, ultimately she falls short of that revenge. I mean, that's seven seasons I, of storytelling to get to that point. I think she gets one big kill. Maybe it's Cersei, which I, I, don't, I don't think really think it's Cersei, but I think she gets one crucial big moment of, of you know the, the the red viper fails he doesn't get the mountain right maybe maybe really maybe that's where aria goes she gets the mountain i mean again this is just like total speculation mm-hmm. um i could see ariel coming out of it alive I, but if i had to pick among the the four star kids remaining she would be the one i would say would die I, about you know who, who knows? knows who knows uh steven uh jake larson reminds us you missed one big thing that's uh wun yeah steven we saw the knight's king with his army marching yes. south and for the first time we saw white walker giants yes I- i'm trying to make one one dead happen the one one, one dead one dead because you know? like the one and undead sort of kind of come together yeah i think like that's one, a stretch one dead yeah, I, well, if I repeat it enough, I feel like it could happen. <laughs> uh, Steven, uh, I, I didn't know they had giants. Yeah, that was such a cool reveal. I mean, the White Walkers coming south with their army and those like 
creepy undead giants. Now, let's be clear. This is not one one himself. These are other giants. One one died. You know, one one died south of the wall. It's not one uh, one, right? You know, yeah. It's these are other undead giants. This is his brother. Uh, the, the one one dead is is a brother. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, Steven, uh, great job uh, here tonight on the uh, first so Snow-It-Alls of the season. And uh, we're going to do this uh, for these uh, next six weeks after this as we go through it. Uh, we have a podcast coming up with Josh Wiggler where we are going to go through everything. He's going to make sense of everything that we couldn't quite figure out. And then also bring in all of the insight that he learned over uh, these uh, next 24 hours writing all of his stories for Hollywood Reporter. That's going to be our deep dive podcast. And then we'll get into everything on our feedback show. So send us in your emails, got at postshowrecaps.com. You could also leave us voicemails. We love the voicemails, postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. And Stephen, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of those, you want to be subscribed to the podcast, go to postshowrecaps.com slash got iTunes. And we always appreciate your Stark ratings, your Lannistar ratings, all of the all of the ratings. <laughs> Very much appreciated. Yeah. Your Marstel Star sure, Mel. Sure, okay, we'll go mind. with that. Never mind. No, I, I try. I'm going to workshop, workshop that. Workshop that. Right. It, I mean, it's better yeah. than one, one undead. No, one one dead is pretty genius. Okay, well, one one last question before you go, Rob. Anything that happened this episode that really, really surprised you or made you think differently than you thought about, you know, in your in your lead up to the to the episode? Uh, a lot of it was by the book. Uh, I didn't, or I, or if, if, if there was a book, uh, I was a little <laughs> yeah. uh, surprised of Arya going south. That was one thing to me that I really thought that we were going, this was yeah. going to be the season of the Starks the Stark reuniting reuniting at yeah. Winterfell. I, I was surprised that we got so much of the Hound also in this episode. Yeah. But otherwise, I feel like that, you know, this is kind of what we expected here on the first night. Yep, I agree. This was setting the table, and now for the next six episodes, we get to dig yeah. in. Okay. And kudos on setting the table. Table looks great, but, yes. you know, let's not... Don't drink the wine. Don't, don't drink, drink the, the wine. wine. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah. let's not mess around uh, too much. Let's get right into the meal, right? Yeah, I agree. All right. All right. Uh, great job, Stephen. What's the hashtag tonight? Oh, God. You know I hate that. What's the hashtag, Rob? Uh, I th- I really did like the uh, Super Stark. Uh, let's go Super with that. Stark. Hashtag All right, Super I like Stark. it. Uh, Steven, kudos to you. Uh, really great job coming in here. I know it's tough right after the episode. You can follow the great Stephen Fishback on Twitter. He is at Stephen Fishback. I'm at Rob Sisterna. I will be back in our next podcast with the great Josh Wiggler at Round Howard on Twitter. Anything else, Stephen? No, just super happy to be here. This was so fun. Okay. Thanks so much. We Rob. are looking forward to reading all of your comments on postshowrecaps.com. If you haven't been there in a while, we totally redid everything. We're like Daenerys coming in, taking down banners. It looks fixing great. Fixing up Dragonstone. Yeah, so check it out. Postshowrecaps.com. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye.